everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this typically is your go-to show to meet some of the most inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines. But today's episode is a little atypical in that you all are hanging with just me today. And I think it's good to switch it up every now and then and infuse some different energy into the show. And my real reason for taking this approach is because as I considered what I wanted to cover this month, I kept circling back to the thought that one, it's National Ocean Month, and two, support for ocean climate action is at an all-time high from the federal administration and from some members of Congress. So I thought that it could be of some value to share a few updates about some ocean climate action movement, opportunities to take action, get involved, or maybe just learn something. But before I go on any further, I want to acknowledge that this episode is airing on the day that many of us are observing Juneteenth, which means that you are most likely enjoying a day off from work. And while having a day off is a welcome and beautiful thing, especially during this time of year up here where I am in New England, But I am asking if you are white like me or unfamiliar with Juneteenth, please consider the history and what you can do to honor and respect the day. Juneteenth is also known as Emancipation Day and marks the day when Union soldiers, led by Major General Gordon Granger, arrived in Galveston, Texas to announce the end of the Civil War and slavery. This occurred on June 19, 1865, and although the Emancipation Proclamation had freed slaves more than two years earlier, there was minimal enforcement in Texas due to a lack of Union troops. So each year, Juneteenth is a day for Black people to celebrate freedom, and this year Juneteenth was just passed by the Senate as a federal holiday, all while some of those same members of Congress are actively working to suppress voting rights, incited a deadly riot on Capitol Hill on January 6th, refused to hold people accountable for Black lives lost to police brutality and reform the system, and are trying to prop up a false narrative about teaching about the role race and racism has played in all aspects of society. So fellow white people, Here are some things that we can do to honor and respect Juneteenth while not co-opting and whitewashing the day. You can take some time to deeply consider the wound of racism on the hearts of Black Americans. You can read, study Black history, Black poets, Black leaders, and Black achievements. Go out and support Black-owned businesses in your community. 
make a list of resolutions, of promises or vows about what it will take for you to use your power, your privilege, and your platforms to give space to black and brown leaders. Stop talking about how uncomfortable it is to talk about racism or police violence and being afraid of acknowledging and addressing your own internalized white supremacy. Listen to what needs to be done and plan on spending time and spaces with folks who are not like you. And hold other white people accountable, not only on social media, but also with measured voices that call folks in to change. And to be honest, these are good practices to use all the time, but especially on Juneteenth. I acknowledge that June is also LGBTQ plus Pride Month. And Pride is a time to recall the trials that the community has endured and to rejoice in the triumphs of trailblazing individuals who have bravely fought and continue to fight for all equality. Pride is a celebration of visibility, love, and of self-worth and dignity. And for people that do not identify as LGBTQ+, but are attending Pride events, please be aware of the history of Pride. Pride commemorates the Stonewall Riots, which were a series of violent confrontations that began in the early hours of June 28, 1969, between police and gay rights activists outside the Stonewall Inn, which is a gay bar in Greenwich Village um, in New York City. And as the riots progressed, an international gay rights movement was born. So attending Pride events as a non-LGBTQ plus identifying ally means moving beyond just accepting displays of visible, flamboyant, and unapologetic pride it means celebrating and embracing the community and not just using people's celebration as a prop or backdrop for your good time. So join the celebration and appreciate the culture. And the same opposition that led to the creation of Pride still exists and still threatens Pride events. So for allies entering the space, being aware of the privilege you have of just feeling safe in your body in considering that if you run into hate or disruptive behavior and if you can muster the bravery to try to call out hecklers so that your lgbtq plus friends and peers don't have to or if you aren't comfortable doing that at least check in on your friends who may be impacted by that behavior and lastly there's ongoing work that needs to be done for justice and equality. So if partying at Pride is fun for you, join in on the work that continues well beyond Pride to overcome discrimination and hate. There are plenty of guides, resources, and places to donate online relating to both Juneteenth and supporting Black Americans, as well as the LGBTQ community. It is important to start the show this way because nothing exists and thrives within a silo. Ocean health directly impacts human health and disproportionately impacts marginalized communities as a direct result of the systemic racism and discrimination that our country was founded on. 
not to mention that these communities are some of the greatest stewards of our planet, have made significant contributions to science, education, policy, and so much more, and they are the leaders in the fight against climate change. We are all in this together, and the privileged among us need to show up, not only in times of celebration, but every day, and especially when things are uncomfortable. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at Chloe at CoastalNewsToday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at CoastalNewsToday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. So now on to National Ocean Month. Um, So many of you may be aware if you listen to the network and especially listen to my show or follow along with the work that we do um, through the Healthy Ocean Coalition, which is my my day job role when I'm not podcasting. Um, Since January, the Biden administration has really made some impressive progress and bold commitments relating to ocean climate action. And they've done this work through a series of commitments and goals and actions like pausing offshore oil and gas leasing um, for the administration to conduct a rigorous review and at the same time promoting ocean-based renewable energy like offshore wind. They are prioritizing environmental justice and access to nature in ocean and climate decision making, advocating for investments in coastal restoration and resilience, and supporting protected areas like marine sanctuaries. So now here we are midway through National Ocean Month and the month of June. And typically this is a time when the broader ocean community spends the month of uh, June amplifying messaging about ocean and coastal issues to raise awareness and ramp up stewardship and action. These efforts are usually paired with a presidential proclamation recognizing June as National Ocean Month. And this has actually been going on since 2006. So U.S. presidents, usually the week before June or right on June 1st, released a, release a proclamation designating June as, as National Ocean Month. And each proclamation really has its own flair depending on what the administration is prioritizing and what their goals are. So it's sort of like a person going through different fashion trends with each proclamation. You know, each one looks and sounds a little bit different and some are better and more flattering than others. (laughs) Um, But for anybody interested in exploring those, you can find them online. If you Google something along the lines of presidential National Ocean Month proclamations, they should pop up. Um, And this year's proclamation focuses on dual priorities of conserving nature and environmental justice. And it's not that long, so I encourage you to check it out. It's 
And I say it's not that long. It's like long enough that I'm not going to read it on the show, but it shouldn't take too long to read through. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff in there and there's a lot to unpack. So before I do that, I would like to really just pause and take a moment to reflect on the most important point for the work that we do and why we really emphasize June as National Ocean Month when, you know, you hear people say this all the time, like every month is National Ocean Month, but um, to take this one month to really ramp up action and messaging and calling attention to ocean issues, it's because a healthy ocean sustains us, but all too often it goes uncared for or overlooked. And in turn, that threatens one of our best defenses against climate change and nurturers of our physical, emotional, mental, and economic health and well-being. And in order for us to benefit from the beauty and the bounty that this special place provides, we must care for it as if it were family, because it really is a living thing. The ocean has an amazing ability to heal itself, but only if we help to make that possible. Because after all, for us to survive, the ocean must thrive. I had to throw a rhyme in there to mix it up. <laughs> this is what happens when you leave me alone with my thoughts in a microphone. Um, anyway, so the president's National Ocean Month proclamation specifically calls out an initiative that is frequently referred to as 30 by 30, which is a national goal to conserve 30% of our nation's lands and waters by 2030. There's also a global campaign running in conjunction with this effort. Um, and he notes something called the quote unquote America the Beautiful Initiative, which is formally known as the Conserving and Restoring America the Beautiful Initiative, or less formally known in our little ocean conservation circle as the Crab Report. <laughs> which I have to give all of the credit to my dear friend, colleague, and former guest on this show, Sarah Winter Whelan, for coming up with that ocean-appropriate acronym. But let's explore those two things just a little bit deeper. So starting with the 30 by 30 campaign to save nature, because this is, this is sort of the broader umbrella initiative. This campaign recognizes the reality that the loss of nature poses a grave threat to our clean air and drinking water, the survival of wildlife, the health and prosperity of communities, as well as nature's ability to protect humans from the intensifying impacts of a changing climate and natural disasters. These crises, meaning climate change and the rapid loss of biodiversity, threaten our very existence on Earth. So the 30 by 30 campaign seeks to guide us along a path to protection and a habitable climate for humans and wildlife by outlining these five goals. The first one is supporting locally led cons uh, conservation and helping communities protect the places that matter most and in a way that meets local, state, tribal, and regional needs. Also working toward a more equitable and inclusive vision for nature conservation, because for way too long, the costs and impact 
of development, extraction, and pollution have fallen disproportionately on low-income communities and communities of color in the United States. And we must address this legacy and yield a more equitable distribution of nature's benefits to all people, as well as improving access to outdoor spaces and restoring degraded lands and waters that have harmed the health and quality of life for communities across the country. And also honoring the sovereignty of tribal nations because many of the most important and conserved natural, cultural, and historic resources in the U.S. are under the ownership and care of American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian communities. So this goal must uphold the sovereignty of tribal nations, reflect meaningful consultation with indigenous leaders, account for expertise and experiences of indigenous communities, and help indigenous communities fulfill their vision and priorities for stewardship of natural, cultural, and historic resources. Supporting private conservation is the next goal. So you've heard me say this on the show before, and you know I'm going to mention it now, and I'm sure we'll cover it again in future shows, but and I think I've mainly mentioned this in the terms of uh, hunting and fishing licenses and that community and the contributions that they make to conservation. But anyway, so farmers, fishers, ranchers, and private landowners have long been some of America's most effective conservationists. So partnering with private property owners and respecting private property rights, as well as supporting the voluntary conservation efforts of private landowners, water users, working waterfronts in the private sector is important to this initiative, as well as the final goal of being guided by science. So it's likely that I will have somebody on a future episode to talk about the 30 by 30 campaign in more detail, but I wanted to give a high level overview of what it is before getting into the Conserving and Restoring America the Beautiful Initiative. I'll also note that this 30% goal serves as a baseline. So this is the minimum number needed and minimum amount of protection needed to avoid an extreme climate and biodiversity crisis. We're also talking about strong protections. So excluding any sort of extractive or polluting activities within these protected spaces. So on May 6th, the Biden administration released a report laying out a national conservation strategy and their approach to achieving a national goal conserving 30% of lands, waters, and ocean by 2030. Again, I'm not going to read the report, but you can easily find it if you Google it. But some of the top line takeaways from this report are it recommends a 10-year national in scope, locally-led America the Beautiful campaign to restore the nation's lands and waters. So the campaign seeks to address inequitable distribution of nature and the intersecting uh, nature and climate crises. It sets the first ever national goal to conserve 30% of lands, waters, and ocean by 2030. And it calls for action to support locally led conservation efforts across the regions of the country 
including voluntary conservation on working and private lands, local and state lands, and state and federal waters. So it does this by laying out eight principles to achieving these goals, um, which are included in the report. And for the sake of time, I will not walk through, but also I don't want this to become an audio version of watching a boring PowerPoint presentation. Um, so please, I encourage you to look up this report and walk through it because there's, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, however, I will call out some of the immediate next steps laid out by the administration, which are to create more parks and safe outdoor opportunities in nature-deprived communities, support tribally-led conservation and restoration priorities, enhance wildlife corridors in winter ranges, increase access for outdoor recreation, incentivize and reward the voluntary conservation efforts of fishers, ranchers, farmers, and forest owners, and create jobs by investing in restoration and resilience. Specifics about how they plan to take those next steps are outlined in the report as well. And the Conserving and Restoring America the Beautiful initiative is a new opportunity for the federal government to reinvest and reform centuries of inequitable conservation practices. So this effort must center this work and rectify the years of neglect to ocean conservation in the frontline communities impacted by the climate by climate change and pollution the most. So we've lost we've already we've lost a lot of time and uh, the biodiversity and climate crises are, are only worsening, not to be incredibly negative, but that's just the reality of it. Um, making it even more imperative that we get this right while immediately taking action to implement this strategy. So to assist in and, and inform this effort, we, through my role with the Healthy Ocean Coalition, and I want to offer this opportunity for you to get involved if you're interested, are asking the Council on Environmental Quality in consultation with the Department of Interior the Department of Commerce and Department of Agriculture to take these three immediate steps for conserving 30% of our lands, waters, and ocean by 2030. The first one is to develop a time-based roadmap for steps to engage communities and people over the next 12 months. The second is to ensure that along with voluntary and working conservation opportunities, the initiative is inclusive of the need for highly protected areas. And the third is to develop a strong national ocean climate action policy that can help implement the strategy. And we're asking for this because actually before the Trump administration repealed the national ocean policy in 2018, our nation had a comprehensive ocean policy to direct federal agencies in their work to manage and protect our ocean space. We no longer have that. Instead, we have the remnants of the Trump quote unquote America first ocean policy that called for reviewing existing ocean protections to determine their benefit against energy exploration and barely mentions stewardship, conservation, or tribal nations. 
this should not be the policy of the Biden administration, and it should no longer be allowed to sit on the books coloring this administration's efforts on ocean climate action. So now what you've really been hearing so far is that the Biden administration is committed to climate action. But what we really need is for Congress to follow through because now Congress has the opportunity to act and turn the vision for ocean climate action into durable solutions. And one of the avenues toward achieving this is through the Ocean-Based Climate Solutions Act of 2021, led by House Natural Resources Committee Chair Raul Grijalva. He is from Arizona, and he has been an incredible climate champion over the years, and he introduced this bill um, on June 8th, which happened to be World Ocean Day. I'm sure that was intentional. This bill is big, it's bold, it's comprehensive, and it will codify many of the proposals made by the Biden administration. It includes many other innovative provisions to leverage the power of the ocean to address climate change, support frontline communities, increase the resilience of ocean ecosystems, and demonstrate much-needed leadership in the global effort to ad address climate change. So specifically, the Ocean-Based Climate Solutions Act of 2021 will do the following things. Again, this bill is about, it's over 200 pages long, so there is a lot in it. We just pulled out some of the top-line key takeaways. So this bill will reduce greenhouse gas emissions by supporting the transition to a clean energy economy through promoting ocean-based renewable energy. And the bill also prohibits oil and gas development activities in most areas of the outer continental shelf. Um, and for those of you that may be unfamiliar with the term outer continental shelf, I believe it's every state except, I think like Texas and Louisiana, um, I will have to look that up and maybe add a little revision in here, but it's speaking from shoreline to the end of state waters, which is about three nautical miles offshore, um, is where you will find the outer continental shelf um, in federal waters. The bill also seeks to increase carbon storage in blue carbon ecosystems by capitalizing on carbon storage potential and other co-benefits provided by um, which is really called, quote unquote, like blue carbon ecosystems. So that's referring to things like salt marshes or seagrasses and mangroves. Because these ecosystems are powerhouses. They can absorb carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and safely store it at a rate of up to four times that of a forest on land. Um, they also protect coastal communities by limiting the impacts of coastal erosion flooding and storms, all while providing habitat for marine and wildlife, marine wildlife and fisheries. The bill seeks to promote coastal resiliency in order to protect our coasts and communities from the climate impacts that we cannot avoid. So it's calling to mandate the establishment of a strategic task force to coordinate federal efforts around voluntary relocation and recognize and support tribal and indigenous knowledge and expertise. It also authorizes $10 billion 
an investment in coastal restoration and resilience, which, you know, in my opinion, in many of my colleagues' opinion, that's like a triple win for our economy um, and, you know, our frontline communities and our environment. So there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, and, you know, it also seeks to improve ocean protection by supporting the Biden administration's goal to protect at least 30% of our ocean by 2030. Marine protected areas like our protected areas on land, so like national parks and um, other places that have some sort of protection of our natural spaces and wildlife. They're really a key tool to protect per, protecting biodiversity, which is really more critical than ever in the face of both the climate and biodiversity crises. The bill is um, going to support climate-ready fisheries by encouraging the development and implementation of strategies to improve the management of fisheries in a, a changing climate. The bill will help to promote U.S. seafood sourced from environmentally and climate-friendly fisheries and eliminate fishing subsidies and trade agreements for countries that distribute or, excuse me, contribute to overfishing or illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. It seeks to tackle the ocean and human health challenges of ocean acidification and harmful algal blooms and the impact of plastic pollution by establishing a manufacturer's fee on the creators of single-use plastic and uh, the people that are really creating the, the large mass of, of this and then distributing out it out into the world. So the Ocean-Based Climate Solutions Act would bolster frontline communities which are most at risk to harm from climate change. It seeks to increase the resilience of ocean ecosystems and help demonstrate much needed leadership in the global effort to address the climate crisis. So this is where we see another opportunity for you, the listener, to take action by reaching out to your member of Congress, no matter who they are, and voicing your support for this bill. It is currently introduced in the House. We will keep you updated if there is a Senate partner bill that's introduced, but that could be another great ask of you, is to ask your senators to introduce this into the Senate. And if what I just said made no sense at all and <laughs> you're unsure of how to do any of that, well, you're in luck because supporting people's ocean advocacy efforts is literally what I do when I'm not podcasting through the Healthy Ocean Coalition. So I will actually wrap up the show by sharing my contact information. And I welcome you to reach out to me at any time. It's at Jenna, which is J-E-N-N-A, at healthyoceancoalition.org with any questions. Um, I'm happy to help draft messaging, set up meetings for you and your members, and also welcome you to participate in an upcoming ocean advocacy training that we're hosting virtually in July. So these trainings are typically in-person retreat style events. They're really fun. 
They're really interactive and they're a great way to meet other people that are interested in ocean advocacy and ocean health. Um, and during the event, we walk through the key issues moving through Congress relating to ocean action um, and conservation and ways to advocate for them. So if that's something that's of interest to you, definitely reach out to me. Again, it's Jenna at HealthyOceanCoalition.org. And I really appreciate you all accompanying me on this solo podcasting journey today. Um, I know it was a little bit different than what you typically expect from my show. But if you liked this episode and want to hear more like it, but like 99% of the time hear me um, having a discussion about ocean issues with a guest, you can find the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribes, rates, and reviews are very much appreciated. And if you're on social media, you can connect with us on Instagram and also on Twitter. We are at Coastal News 365 and on Facebook, we are the American Shoreline Podcast Network. You can also connect with me personally by searching for Jenna Valente on Instagram or Twitter. Um, You should, I probably, I think I'll probably be one of the first ones to pop up. But I guess if you have any issues, you can always email me because I just gave you my email. Um, Anyway, so find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastline.